0: Cradleine Network. I am the law, and this is the eighteenth episode of Big Back One. My name is Conrad alongside my friend Eli, and this is the podcast where two Americans patrol their way through the Judge Dredd magazine. This episode, we're we'll the Judge Dredd magazine volume two, issues three and four, cover dates May 30th and June 13th, 1992. This episode, the Soul Sisters go undercover, Devlin Waugh punches some vampires, the bad man makes some new friends, and Judgment Day begins. And if you want to read along with us, you can find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dread, the complete case file 17, Devlin Waugh swimming in blood, and the Judge Dread magazine number 300. And here we go. How you feeling, Eli? You're feeling great. All right, exciting Judge Dread times. Oh man, <laughs> I'm pretty stoked. Um, you know we're we're finishing up one story. we uh, when we're right at the very start, the first episode of this big uh, mega event that'll see uh, 2000 AD and the Judge Dread magazine crossing over, as well as these podcasts crossing over. Eli, that's what's really exciting. <laughs> Podcast
1: worlds right. collide. i'm getting
0: meta with it i like it always yeah listen we haven't done it yet as we're recording this but it's gonna be it's gonna happen and it's gonna be real fun but let's not get ahead of ourselves because first we gotta get going with story one texas city sting script robot john wagner art robot Yan Shimony, coloring robot gina hart letting robot a tom frame all right eli so, Judge Dredd, our buddy, he's in Texas City, rounding up fugitives. The final one he's going after, the final ones he's going after, I should say, are Alfred, BJ, and Ricardo Kling, who are now holding up with their aunt, hiding out with her. And, in fact, they're mid-gunfight with Dredd, as he explains that he's not here to arrest them, just here to collect various debts. But listen, because he's, you know, snowing the... uh the Texas city judges by doing some trickery here. And if you can't pay your debts, that'll blow you away. And that's what he tosses in a grenade, you know, (laughs) though the grenade itself doesn't explode. Instead, it just distracts the perp so Dred can rush in, start shooting up the place. One of the clings takes his own aunt hostage. And she's like, I can't believe what you've done. And she just starts, like, punching <laughs> him and hitting him because he has the audacity to take his own aunt hostage and stuff. <laughs> Dred arrests two of them, takes him away. I guess the third one's still in the wind. Um, in fact, he after Dred leaves, he comes out of a false floor in the, uh, in the apartment like is he gone <laughs> the, the clings are loaded into the perp wagon and the judges rush to the air terminal as the final cling gets gets um gets a, gets like a, a special delivery letter we've seen a bunch of people get these letters as dred has been arresting them it seems he's won a million credits in some kind of contest and all he's gotta do is go to a certain place to collect it in two days alright it's easy yeah Meanwhile, Dredd and his partner, Corvolo, are stuck in Texas City traffic. Oh, it's the worst. They'll never make it out of the city in time unless some Texas City deputies show up and help them cut through traffic. They make it just in time and head off into the wild blue yonder as that um, uh, 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 deputy chief judge, you know, just kind of like... Gets angry and presumably stomps on his hat and stuff like that. Oh, that no good Judge Dredd. (laughs) Um, Later, at a roadhouse outside of Texas City the prize giveaway is going on in like a circus type atmosphere as a bunch of perps come inside but once they're all settled the curtains of the place come down and the bars go up because this isn't a circus it's a big cage that lady isn't a showgirl it's Judge Hershey and they've all been arrested and just they like basically just cage everybody up and then a big plane comes by and picks up the cage and goes to drag them back to (laughs) Mega City One they're going to get these fugitives one way Way or another, I also like that the cage has the
1: four rockets on each corner that are shooting it up. Yeah, so, ro- rocket um, cage for sure. Right? <laughs> they never know how hard that is to actually do. Like I imagine it, you could. That's one of the most dangerous, reckless ways to get a cage into a ship. But, well, you know, whatever. they probably got the science down, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, there's probably like, a, you know, I'm sure they arrest so many people in Mega City 1 that there must be a, ca- a, a dedicated cage division, right? I mean, that just makes <laughs> sense, right? Right, right. <laughs> but, yeah, I like this story. I thought it was kind of fun. I liked, you know, Dread being tricky and stuff like that. I mm-hmm. thought that was kind of fun. Um, <laughs> this, ar- th- this artist, Yen... Yan Shimini is kind of an interesting one, I guess. I'm not really familiar with their work, but they actually have they draw Dread as really smiley, which I don't know if I like. Mm-mm. Like, <laughs> right, that is true. You get a lot He's of like Dread having a having like like a creepy smile as he kicks someone in the
1: face or something that that happens a couple times right. in the course of the story. Right. Mm. Yeah, it, it is interesting. Um. Uh. It also because this is something non-artists probably don't realize but like your smile lines like the line that goes from your nose to your cheek that you know uh this artist uses that a lot it's really hard mm-hmm. to pull that off like it's not a very flattering line to actually draw a lot of artists will just skip it mm-hmm. um, but just that they're going through with it and kind of being consistent with it i give that i give that alone a lot of credit
0: nice yeah yeah there are, there is like a like i would say this is not the most like i don't know realistic work but it is very detailed and has a lot of stuff going on with it Mm -hmm. despite not being like so super photorealistic i guess Mm -hmm. right and hey speaking of art that's got its own thing going on eli (laughs) right (laughs) let's go to story two the soul sisters Script robot David Bishop and Dave Stone, art robot Shaky Kane, letter robot Ellie DeVille. All right. So last time we saw nuns hope and faith, the soul sisters, beat up some muggers and the futuristic Brit sit is uh, worried about all this. Now the nuns are zooming through the city on their sweet hover cycle, talk about setting up secret identities as they go through the old uh, fake dead end entrance to their secret soul sanctuary it's a soul sanctuary um (laughs) then we see some tv channels playing most are discussing the arrival of pope bob ii who'll be coming into britsit uh pretty soon and we see also watching tv the evil dr rupert delirium who's preparing to have the pope assassinated (laughs) He rants his plans to take over the city with some kind of mind control chemical and orders one of his goons, who is the leader of the goons that we saw get beat up by the Soul Sisters last episode, go and try to stir up a gang war involving the Craze brothers, those t- that uh, two-headed mob boss we saw last time. Or right. the two mob bosses with one body we saw last time. I'm not sure mm-hmm. about how you conjugate I've, that. I- Situation. I like the I like the former
1: than the the latter. Two headed
0: mob it's, boss. Yeah, I, maybe. Yeah. I guess two head. Like I don't know. It's hard whether you're implying that the heads the same personality or something. I don't know how. how I guess I don't that's know. True. I, we need special two headed pronouns or something. You know, for my right. SJW right. nature, etc. <laughs> um (laughs) meanwhile the soul sisters we see them beating up some hood ink professionals at a uh, at a chemical plant you know you gotta hire hood ink for all of your hood based um, right (laughs) based situations you know that'd be a yeah okay never mind i i gotta talk to you about my uh, judge dread story idea that involves apps later on but anyway okay (laughs) yeah um Mm -hmm. But as they're discussing this – but as they're beating these guys up and talking about how all this exercise and dude beating is way better than the convent, we then jump to a meeting of the National Frump Convention where the guest of honor is the sainted aunt of the Little Sisters of the Everlasting Grud, Auntie Incipia, who's the head of the convent that the Soul Sisters left. And she goes and addresses a massive crowd, asks her followers if they want a revolution. And <laughs> Incipia addresses the national frump. Um, I guess that's sort of a combination of the rump, which is like a group of people that are sort of like, like I don't know, like a large minority of a party, I guess, or something, of, a, of like a political party. Mm. Um, okay. And just being frumpy or like, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> whatever, old ladies, things like that. Him. Yeah. Right. Anyway, she says that tomorrow <laughs> they introduce their new plan, which is to eradicate everything. Yikes! This is probably playing off the constant scourge of like old ladies that don't like the things of today. Be it right. the the music or the comic books or the video games or whatever else. Okay. We know what we're seeing here. Right
1: um yeah it's a lot to complain about
0: yeah and the only thing standing in their way are sisters hope and faith those damn nuns with attitude oh i hate them so much <laughs> meanwhile the soul sisters themselves are puttering around in their hover cycle when suddenly um hope realizes that they didn't gas the vehicle up and they fall from the sky oh jeez. Luckily, they land directly onto a mattress store and perhaps even more directly onto the napping Judge Lestrade. No relation. And so they then, after bouncing off of him and the mattresses, escape into the city. Uh, Luckily, he just kind of runs after them shouting because Britsid judges don't carry guns generally. You know. (laughs) Right. But it's still, like, a bother to be chased by a judge. So the scissors instead rush into a place called Club Seedy where they, like, beat up the bouncers and put on their clothes, I guess. And use hair gel to, like, slick back their hair and basically get secret identities like they were talking about. They're undercover as, like, beefy bruiser uh bar bouncers, I guess.
1: <laughs>
0: nice. Quadruple B. Right. I was
1: impressive. Did you write that ahead of time? I
0: did not. I'm just it plucking nice. it out of the air here. Like yes. it's weird because they're yeah. wearing like smoking jackets and bow ties or something, but I don't know. Um right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're just finishing and getting paid for their shift when Joey and Robbie Craze again Craze, again that uh two-headed gangster Two gangsters in one body, whatever, come rolling in. <laughs> and they go to speak privately with the club owner and the sisters listen in. The crazes are worried about that Dr. Delirium, who, of course, you know, is trying to start a gang war. But that's not going to matter once the revolution begins tomorrow, which will be kicked off by the assassination of Pope Bob II. Oh, no. <laughs> but it seems like... Both Dr. Delirium wanted to do that and the National Front are talking about a revolution. So right. we know at least three bad guys, right? Actually, no, maybe like four bad guys even. Cause I think the, 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 the auntie, the, 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 the sainted aunt talked to, talked to a, a fourth bad guy last episode. But it seems like there's one plot and it's a revolution that happens after the Pope's killed or something. Pope Bob the second. So we'll see where all this goes next episode, I'm trying to say. It's exciting. Yeah. It's something. I think i have a good time, for sure. <laughs> next time on Soul Sisters, Abandon Pope, all ye who enter here. <laughs> I get it. I thought that was pretty funny. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, having fun with this, or this one's like weird, I guess. It's, mo- it's moving real fast. It feels mm-hmm. like right I mean i I don't know, I'm still kind of getting around, I'm still working my way through um Shaky Kane's artwork, I guess
1: mm-hmm.
0: like I might, I, I think I might c- I might say this is like uh like vegemite artwork, I guess where. If you like it, you like it a lot. But if you don't like it, you also don't like it a lot. And you can, and mm-hmm. also if you like it, you can kind of understand why someone who doesn't like it doesn't like it. I guess is what I'm trying to say.
1: <laughs> yes, I can definitely understand. Uh, I'm personally a fan, but I can, I can totally understand if someone was like, oh, I, don't, I don't like that art style. I'm like, I get it.
0: Yeah, I mean, so, I, think, I guess I think it's fun just because for me, it's really. Um, Oh, it's re- it's really just reminiscent of these like Silver Age comics and stuff like that again, <laughs> like with this big chunky um, me- uh, uh, mechanics and backgrounds and all these kind of characters. Again, it's like I-, I would say it's someone doing a moderate like Jack Kirby impression. Although I mean Jack Kirby's, yeah. I-, I-, I think Jack Kirby's better, but this feels like an iteration of that. Is what I, I said that last right. time too? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. It's got like, I don't know, it's got history behind it. That's all I'm trying to say. (laughs) And I guess speaking of history and the present, whatever, not not the greatest transition, Uh, uh, let's talk (laughs) about non-stories, covers, dreadlines, and the mega news. (laughs) So just sort of all the non-story stuff, starting with issue three, SNICKED prepare uh beware the bad man because we're just ripping off all these marvel sound effects now you know we got the, we had the thrips mm-hmm. <laughs> with that reptar story and now we're doing snicks as well i guess um in the editorials there's the second part of um we, we learned that this issue came with the second part of a poster with all the current story members but mostly this editorial is uh hyping the start of judgment day next issue which we'll talk about later this episode. And I should say that the, uh, the legal text has the second fist of the bad man, as it also says snicked on it. Um, <laughs> mid-issue, the Megafiles have a bad man update, and more Judge Pal offers, sandwiched between two Amiga pages, and then a full-page rundown of the coming Judgment Day epic including a full reading order and the promise that 3 billion people will die. In Dreadlines, there's a couple long letters. One... Saying that uh more diversity and representation isn't needed in comics, with the standard sort of um arguments against that stuff, like "oh, it's set in the future," and then a lot of like "what about isms?" about like "oh, like why would we have a gay- a-, a black person when well, we don't also have a gay person or someone with a handicap <laughs> or something like that?" It's like, come on, guy,
1: come well, on. um Well, this was a long time ago, you know. It was a nineteen. Uh, no, it was a. I mean Wait, when, when was this? This is nineteen ninety-two. So, so right. I
0: mean, yes, listen, thirty-one years was two ago. Years old. Yeah, moderate amount of time ago, but not that long ago, Eli. <laughs> <you know>? mm-hmm. <laughs> like I was I was eleven and I feel like I think I could have understood these the, the arguments
1: in favor of diversity even then. Thank you. Uh, right. Yeah. Just okay. today we're now getting into this where it's starting to become accepted, like, yeah, let's Diversify some characters.
0: Yeah, it's not like this was like something where, like we, you know, where you have one or two, uh, like, like non, like standard white, w- w- standard max privilege protagonists, and like then they suck. Correct, right. you know. Like this, I like There's a ways term, to go. Max privilege. Yeah, come on. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Just put put the put the list together. You know, you know it all. <laughs> um, another letter. Request more stories with strong characters and or graphic violence, which I I appreciate that, you know, you can have both or one or the other. Um then there's an order for back issues which I've never actually seen in the, in these comics before which is kind of cool you can sort of buy new issue buy older previous issues directly from um IPC or from a fleetway I should say um the issue ends with dread arresting a kid for stealing a bike that he actually won in a contest because no one would give away such a nice bike in a contest you obviously stole it
2: <laughs>
0: no one <laughs> would give away a such a. On yeah No one would give away such a nice bike except for Stripes-flavored milks ooh gross all right (laughs) issue four dawn of the dead dean ornstrom draws some creepy zombies as part of a judgment day cover inside there's an ad for rock power magazine the editorial explains more about this crossover scheme for the magazine complete with a brief recap of the story so far but also like hey buy 2000 ad also buy all these comics um there's also some teases about what's going on in Devil and War, and reports of a successful signing at Forbidden Planet. The Megafile has a rundown of what's going on in Judgment Day, which we'll talk about later, and some general Johnny Alpha information as well. There's also more reader polling, this time uh, putting Wagner, Grant, and Pat Mills on the top for Most Wanted Writers, and Bisley, McNeil, and Ornstrom for Top Artists. In the Dreadlines, um, a new mother writes that she read the magazine while she was bored waiting for her child to be born, which is pretty solid. Um, there's more praise for the fortnightly jokes about the cost of postage, a lot of split opinions about um, whether
1: Straightjacket fits is good, and a lot of praise <laughs> to Brits Babes as well. Okay. <laughs> Question on everyone's mind. Everyone wants to know if Straightjacket fits is good. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny just because – it seems like the discussion about straight
0: jacket fits is getting a lot of space, and it's hard. It's hard for me to know whether because it's controversial, so they got a lot of letters about it, or just because it's the story that was also written by the current editor of the magazine, so he's sort of is more likely to choose stories about something he wrote for the letters pages versus others. Mm-hmm. I guess I could see well, either yeah, being I true. <laughs> well, you know, like they got to choose these letters somehow. You know, I don't know. Right. Yeah. But. That speaking of making unusual choices, let's continue <laughs> on to <laughs> story three: Devlin War. Script robot John Smith, art robot Sean Phillips, Letter robot Steve Potter. All right, Eli. In the underwater prison Aquatraz, things are getting out of hand. We see Devlin wash starting to explain the, the rules for these current vampires as a bunch of guards prepare to head out to fight them in their, like, again, like, their guard uniforms with their armor and how these helmets look and stuff. They seem more like really fancy, like, bike riding costumes, I guess, than, yeah. like, like, like wearing- something you'd wear to fight, I guess.
1: Hmm. Right. Oh, actually, I guess that, that is a outfit. I thought that was, like, their exposed skin, like, under that chest plate. I think there's just but, a lot – there's
0: a lot of spandex and, like, the fact that, again, <laughs> that their helmets have holes right in the front to let their hair come out of the top <laughs> of it. Again, just, like – it doesn't seem like they're really right. trying to be fighting, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um we see that we basically learn that these vampires are a ravening horde of, of undead predators hard to kill and nearly unstoppable as we see a guard fighting a losing battle at the prison chapel all that like uh, crosses and stuff don't really do much to them Devlin explains that while the vampires can, or, or explains that the vampires can keep going even after their nervous system has been destroyed, and that's why he carries around a pistol with a barrel the size of his head, basically. He needs to just destroy the matter of them I guess. In the prison infirmary, doctors and nurses have barricaded the doors, and the vampires are slowly pushing their way through. The Leader of the vampires, Landis, calls them easy meat and reaches out through the prison to the morgue. As this happens, Devlin seems to have weapons all sorted out, but now needs a way into the prison. And the exterminator, Murray, suggests the maintenance lift and earns a slap on the bum from Devlin. Oh, what fun we have figuring out how we'll fight these vampires. (laughs) (laughs) We see another schematic of the seahorse-shaped aquatic prison as Devlin devises a devilish plan. Landis, meanwhile, is reaching out into the morgue and bringing the dead to life to serve his uh, evil purposes as Devlin and the guys get ready to go and Devlin offers like a a pinch of snuff to his new comrades. They arrive to find the infirmary, fall into the vampires... Devlin might faint at least until he blows the top of vampire's skull off. <laughs> the guards and exterminator focus on trying to save some of the few survivors, and these vamps aren't going down easy. As we so- see one making threats, even as its head like burns away to ash, which is a pretty cool, pretty cool look here. <laughs> Devlin finds one vampire at the uh, prison blood bank, um, gorging away on blood bottles. Oh, yeah, 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 listen, that's the first place to go. You know, why, like, why go after live people when you got a cool drink right here, you know? <laughs> Murray um, wants to save one of the hospitalized prisoners, but the guards say no way, and a fight is sort of brewing between the two of them as tensions raise. As Devlin walks in with a hog-tied vampire, we'd better leave unless there's time for a quick Charleston before we go. Ha, ha, ha. Dance about. <laughs> So, news is continuing to filter out about Aquatraz. We see several, like, submarines and Yellow Jacks or, like, I don't know, other sort of sea vehicles starting to arrive and secure the area around the prison. Inside, Warden Meachum is riding an exercise bike and pretty clearly taking weird pills and going very swiftly crazy. Meanwhile, Devlin Waugh looking all buff in his sleeveless, like a uh, priest's collar. I guess he's got, he's got, he got like a, like a priest's dicky or something like that. Cause it's like the black cloth and like the, the reverend collar and like some religious paraphernalia. But then also like you can see his whole back and arms and stuff and his, you know, advanced vascular form, you know, got a lot of veins and muscles and so forth and he's got some brass knuckles and is interrogating Errol the vampire. Errol says that he said all he knows, but Devlin isn't so sure, plus he just likes hurting people, so we'll pull out the old blowtorch and make this uh, interrogation get serious. Elsewhere through the prison, the vampires are gorging themselves on blood and death, and they're starting to run out of targets, so they're even starting to turn on each other. There's even tension between members of this newly of, of the leadership of this newly turned vampire army and it seems like that tension will soon break and i can't tell but it seems like like um Errols told this to devlin because now he's delighted these vampires are so interesting he um says that he's fought a couple groups of vampires before including one that fed exclusively on hair which is gross <laughs> the vampire shouts your standard kind of vampirey threats at devlin and then let slip that um, um, that Landis is the clan is the clan father of all these vampires, and that lets the vamp- the uh, the guards look Landis up and sort of learn his background. We find that he's was trying to lie low here at the prison, hiding from something called the Love Club. I don't know. But um, he could have stayed hiding forever, but he got the hunger and thus he bit that dude's face off. And so we sort of, you know, things escalated and we find ourselves where we are now. Like the uh, uh, arrow says that Landis is ancient. He's been at all the, the big disasters of human history to capitalize on the violence. Elsewhere, one of the vampires like decides, gets a little big for his britches and tries to take Landis out. But the head vampire easily dodges that attack prepares to destroy the would-be usurper. The guards are getting freaked out. Devlin asks um, what they should do when suddenly the fire... Spri- oh, sorry. The guards ask Devlin what they, what they should do when the fire sprinklers for the prison go on and the captured vampire breaks free of his restraints and goes to an escape by breaking a window in the side of the underwater prison, which can't be spell-good times for our, um, for our heroes. Meanwhile, Landis and the other vampire Keys start to fight. Landis gouges out one of his eyes and the few, the, the uh, formerly captive vamp Arrow now swims through the dark and crushing sea, trying to fu- um, to survive as Keynes fights back against Landis and Landis in turn changes into a new deadlier form and says, "Let's get it on." so. Vampire drama all around Eli. Next time on Devlin Waugh, blood vows. <laughs> There's so much going on in the pages of this story, just jump, and it, and it jumps around so much from one character to another as well. Yeah. Yeah. They do have their own like personality and feelings. Yeah. I'm definitely trying to to keep track of all this stuff. And it's tough a little bit just because I think so much of what feels like. The joke about Devlin is that he's just completely unperturbed by all this stuff, you know? Um, but it means that we've run into a problem. I've had a couple of times with, um, this writer, John Smith, where it seems like he wants things to be cool and not a big deal. Like, like his characters just kind of like not really worry about things and just handle, handle stuff without, you know, being too fussed by it but that leads to a point where there's also no one explaining what's going on and you sort of it's just like what I don't understand this story at all <laughs> and i think it's getting dangerously close to that point here in De- in uh, in devlin wa as well i don't know like I realize you couldn't see me nod my head but yes <laughs> affirmative like i just i wish we knew a little bit more about what um Devlin was planning, or like, what is going on with this stuff, as opposed to sort of occasional humorous asides. Like, the main, like, whenever something happens, Devlin responds mostly with a joke instead of like, oh, like, here's what's going on, or here's what this means, you know? Like, when the fire sprinklers go, go on, so he's like, oh, my watercolors, oh no. It's like, you know, like, come on, we're trying to have a story here, also, you know, come on. Um, <laughs> but still, man, I, I really like, um, I, I really like Philip, uh, Sean Phillips' art here, though, and it's really cool. And again, like just the, the general style of it is carrying this story a long way, I think, for me at least.
1: Hmm. I don't know. Uh- <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to hold off on judgment till the story is done because I'm waiting. I just want this guy to have a couple more tricks up the sleeve. Oh, he doesn't even
0: have uh-huh. sleeves, but I understand what you mean. <laughs> nice buff arm joke. I like it. Listen, I'm trying to, trying to make these make these jokes. All right. Uh-huh. <laughs> but speaking of things that are no laughing matter, Eli, like the end of the world, let's talk about story four, Armageddon, the bad man. I've actually got a lot of, like, as I was putting this thing together, I realized that there's a lot of different overlapping things in these stories, like, we've got mm-hmm. Armageddon, the bad man, which is all about the end of the world and stuff. And that's also what's going on in Judgment Day. Mm. <laughs> Meanwhile, right. Armageddon also has a crazy priest ye- yelling at everybody. And we have that in both Soul Sisters and kind of in Devlin Wa as well. Like... This, this is a comic that that's be, suddenly becomes strangely religious and strangely focused on the end of the world in a way that it hasn't been in the past. But anyway, um, the bad man, script robot, Alan Grant, art robot, Clarissa Scarra, letting robot, Gordon Robson. So I've ha- I've talked to some folks, Eli, since the last time we talked about this story. hmm and um, it's, it's been made pretty clear to me that while there's been some editorials talking about this being the first part of a larger plot that would eventually be the full backstory of um Judge Dredd or something like that, <laughs> that's right. not really, like, what they're going in with, I guess. Okay. Like, I kind of imagined that being the case. And there would be, like, you know, like, Alan Grant had written some big, like, I don't know, like – but like a character bible, that's the history of all of uh of of this setting and stuff. But honestly, it's more like that was just kind of tacked on more to explain why this story, which is definitely not a dread story, you know, it takes place in a not too right. distant future United States, like sort mm-hmm. of like those two pages at the start and end of Al's baby that explained that it was a his like took place in the in the past Vega City one, like. The editorial talking about this being the first part of the history of Judge Dredd is more there to explain why this story is in the magazine than an actual, mm-hmm. like, statement of intent of doing a bunch of more Armageddon stories or whatever. Got it. Okay.
1: Well, that'll adjust my expectations.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I thought that was interesting mm-hmm. just because I think previously, you know, they sort of played played up its beginning of an epic nature. And I'd sort of been expecting that, and wondering mm-hmm. what was going on when it didn't sort of come to pass. And that's sort of I don't know
1: a bigger explanation for it. Um, yeah. I think I said I script strictly... makes sense when you're in a. Oh, Ed, sorry, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Please. I was going to say. I guess that. I guess that makes sense when you're doing you know a sci-fi type of story. When you go back in time to these like more modern settings, you kind of have to make sure people know why you're doing that. You yeah. Know, if well, they yeah. came up next time with a caveman story, <laughs> you'd be like, what? Yeah, what's going on? I mean, especially. don't like, oh, know. let me explain.
0: Yeah, especially for the magazine, which is explicitly supposed to be about Judge Dread and Judge Dread related stories. You know, Judge Dread, Judge Dredd mm-hmm. accessories. You know, um, right, right. Like you gotta <laughs> you gotta have a reason for why why this stuff's going on. He said, "I don't know if I right. said uh, script wrote about Alan Grant, art wrote about Carlos Scarre, letter about Gordon Robson." So. All the Batman stories start with more pages from reports from the agency about the end of the world. Um, in, in issue three, we get ones concerning prophecies apparently made by the, uh, the Hopi tribe of Native Americans. Though I'll tell you, Eli, I did some cursory Google searching about these prophecies. And it's one of these things where um, they're pretty clearly made up by the guy who popularized them, uh, Frank Waters. Mm. (laughs) Or at least he stole them from a preacher who made them up in the early 60s, basically. Mm.
2: Hmm.
0: Like there's no record of these prophecies appearing before they were popularized by this Waters guy, basically. (laughs) Funny. (laughs) So anyway, in New York City... (laughs) These drunks that have been talking about Grud's prophecy for the last couple um, issues Uh, part ways as Lori, this lady we've been following, runs from members of the Beast Gang. They're about to do something horrible to her when a voice rings out, it's the bad man. This big dude with, you know, mirror shades that don't have eyepieces and a sweet mohawk and stuff like that. A lot of leather. (laughs) And he's popping some Wolverine claws and being very threatening. Um, They aren't aren't full Wolverine claws because they're sort of like more short spikes as opposed to big swords Mm -hmm. coming out of his arms or whatever. But still, like, come on. He's got bladed weapons coming. He's got several bladed weapons coming out of his hands or out of his knuckles and they do it with a snicked sound. So, like, you know. Right. We know what it is. I'm calling calling foul on this, to be honest. Like, this is, like, Mm -hmm. not cool. Like, you know, you guys got (laughs) to – Figure out your own thing because it's nineteen ninety two. Like this is this is like peak
1: Wolverine right now. You know, if they're if they're not adamantium, then technically, I mean, you can you can have those. You know, it's it's the adamantium exoskeleton. I mean, uh, endoskeleton, please. Yeah, right. And (laughs) the uh, regeneration that you know makes them. Yeah, I thought that was also a weapon type. I thought there was a weapon that is like three spikes on the knuckles.
0: I guess yeah. But I guess just, there's like uh like fancy brass knuckles or yeah or something. I've seen one that's like a punch dagger or something like that. That's like a thing you hold, and, like a big knife comes out of your fists or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's very anime right. kind of wet, Or no, like a yeah, like a or like a Valdo in Soul Caliber or whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but this hey, is what's
1: that Eon fighter too? What? what? Is it? Oh yeah.
0: No. Uh, um. 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 Oh shoot. Vega, mask on. Vega, in, Vega uh, in, you, yeah. in Street Fighter had those had those Wolverine claws. Yeah, like the right. ones you just, you attach onto your hands. I guess it's a thing. What? I don't know. I got to I, I got <laughs> to look at my exotic weapons. You know, I've fallen down on the job here. But Batman's got Wolverine claws. All right, and he's been very threatening um, about them. Meanwhile, back in this new studio that we've been following um we they're getting reports of the statue of liberty being blown up those are starting to come in as uh the reverend daniel who's a guest on the show tells sinners to repent and send cash donations and then the fight starts
1: mm-hmm. we
0: see <laughs> the bad man he's making quick work of these gang members as they do the standard like oh let's take turns to fight this guy yeah okay well, what's worse than right. laurie <laughs> <laughs> cowers around a corner When she feels a nudge, and it's one of those drunks, the short one, and he tells her to be very quiet. And by the time the bad man has stopped killing, it seems his target has disappeared. But he can still feel her nearby. Indeed, it looks like this drunk dude has disappeared, or she and this drunk guy have disappeared and were invisible, like he couldn't see her. They sort of, as the bad man leaves, they kind of reappear in a cloud of mist. They run down some nearby stairs and through a hole in the wall. She asks him who he is, and he says, A friend, trust me, or deal with the bad man. And that's we got the title, so that's pretty solid. Um, they head into the sewers as a sleek black car remote activates and drives off without a driver. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, issue four starts with an agency um, memo about Edgar Casey, the Sleeping Prophet, who like would be would go into a trance and made a lot of prophecies, and he's very influential in a lot of a new age circles even to this day, despite the fact he died like many many years ago. Sort of the start of the modern new age movement, if you believe what he said and did, which I. think think you won't be surprised to hear, Eli, I'm skeptical about. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) Laurie and the drunk dude, I guess, um, make their way through sewer tunnels where some hobo types are cooking rats on spits over a fire. And one of them calls this guy uh, Condro and then warns Laurie that Condro has no morals. It's like a joke. Laurie has second thoughts about all this, but Condro says he's taken her to his boss and they head down through tunnels to through a strange door to something surprising. Elsewhere, the bad man is in that sleek car saying that he's lost his target. And the car says he can deal with that later and instead focus on everything going well tomorrow. Apparently something big is going to happen. And the bad man can't make mistakes even if all the soldiers in New York, will now be on high alert because of the Statue of Liberty bombing. So that's, like, ominous. What's going to happen? I don't know. (laughs) Um, And sort of finally ending by saying, uh, by this time tomorrow, the world will be at war. Whoa. (laughs) Back underground, a a very tall man with a bald head and a butler uniform greets Condro and silently lifts him onto his shoulders. These two men, one very tall, one very short, um, lead Lori through another door where a voice calls her name. Sort of done two, like ah, yes, I'm a mysterious person. I've led you through a mysterious door, and you look through it and mm-hmm. you see something very surprising. That's sort of a. I don't really like that they've done that, that bit twice in the course of this comic. All right. Um, yeah, you got to gotta spread those out. Like, you know, it's just sort of – it just feels like – yeah, it just feels like the the equivalent of when like Tom and Jerry are chasing each other and you see the same background sort of loop over and over again
1: or something like that. <laughs> I know sometimes when they're introducing like a a, a character, they'll have a, the person viewing in the f- – Background, and then they'll just have like a foot of someone in the foreground, right, so right. they dramatically enter, and you don't know who they are. It's like doing that twice within the same. It's like, <laughs> right? Uh, who is I it? Ca- just <laughs> yeah, I call that
0: the uh, the uh, Tom Tully, or a version of that is the is the Tom Tully special, which is when there's a cliffhanger because something's happening. You see what's been happening so far in the comic appear on like a view screen or something, and all you see is like a mysterious hand in the foreground, like <laughs> doing something. <laughs> Right. this this uh, writer in 2000 AD Tom Tully ended a ton of comics that way like that's very <laughs> very frequent um, mm-hmm. but this time we do immediately see what she's looking at which is nice um, a voice calls her name in what's clearly a psychic word balloon we see a dude in like in robes on a weird kind of floaty chair with a gigantic green head he kind yeah. of looks like if you took like two or three Namekian characters from Dragon Ball Z and kind of jammed them together, Eli. Yeah, like I can see that. If you kind of took like Kami and like jammed his head on top of Guru or something like that, I think you'd really right. kind of like... T- <laughs> or like, a um, again, one of the green alien guys from Dragon Ball Z combined with the Mekon, if you're a uh, British comics enthusiast. Basically, dude, <laughs> robes, green skin, big ol' head. Just a right. head the size of his torso, kind of ballooning off the top of right. his skull.
1: Right. Yeah, and it's it's predominantly like the skull part. Like the face is low. Yes. But then, like he has all this, like if like forehead. You've heard of five heads? This and guy's, this is guy's like got a, like a twenty head. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he
2: just,
1: <laughs> Excellent. I was,
0: I was, as you started to say that, I was thinking of a number and 20 feels right to me mm. as well.
2: <laughs>
0: he greets her as we cut back to the new show where the host asks, like, kind of. Asked Daniel a very philosophical question, like, oh, but the Arabs and Jews have a very similar basis for their religion. Why can't they get along? And Daniel just says, well, listen, whatever you're saying is fine, but they can't get along, so you better repent now, because the world's going to end. He's <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> just like, whoa, <laughs> yikes. Like, I'm just trying to have some idle conversation here. Um, (laughs) Lori in her mind Lori feels that this figure she's met is good despite his repulsive looks which is you know whatever be cool Um, in turn he says um, and through what are clearly like psychic word bubbles like they're just sort of like floating there and they have a black outline in the middle of them Um, he says that she has a special gift that she'll someday learn to harness he puts his hands on her head and does some classic comic stuff open your mind learn and next time on uh armageddon the bad man image of the end ominous yeah we're just sort of building up a bunch of big events i guess in the course of this story here Or the bad man's building up events and meanwhile, I guess Laurie's sort of in the middle of like a superhero origin story basically. (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah. Meeting the Mechians and getting the powers unlocked. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. We're like
0: moments away from Sensu Beans and etc. And and, and everything else for sure. All right. And so with, but yeah, listen, this is the kind of thing, it's the start of what could possibly be an epic story. It might not be, but it could be Eli. (laughs) Right. And speaking of stories that are epic, let's go to Story 5, Judgment Day. Plot robots, John Wagner and Garth Edis. Script robot, Garth Eddis, Art robots, Peter Doherty um, and Dean Ornstrom. Leg robot, Tom Frame. All right. It's 1992, and very much the era of the comic book crossover. This is the same year DC had four big crossover events, including the death and eventual rebirth of Superman. Marvel fought the Infinity War with eight smaller crossovers, including my own beloved Rise of the Midnight Sun. That at Ghost Rider. Anyway, it's a big deal thing. And now that the Judge Red magazine is switching to a fortnightly publication, it's time for 2000 AD and the magazine to team up. And that's also for Space Spitter 2000 and Big Meg One to team up. Worlds oh. are colliding. <laughs> Beautiful podcast will never be the same. Welcome Eli and Fox to the Judgment Zone. I hope you're ready for the end of the world. And born like ready. Like zombies.
2: Yeah, I'm. A, I'm pro zombie. I know how you feel, about yeah. it, Eli. It's not not my favorite of the apocalypses,
1: but uh, mm. definitely top five.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Oh, what is your top yeah. apocalypse? That's uh, a very important ooh. question.
1: You know, I, yeah, yeah, I, definitely. I like uh, I'm uh, I like the robot uprising or the um, convergence where humanity just kind of reaches this pinnacle where we all kind of form together into one gelatinous entity that then just goes and then becomes God that then restarts the universe <laughs> from the beginning.
2: Awesome. I, th-
1: I think that's more Evangelion But still, it's. I think it's <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think we, we Fox, you and I saw that in one series
0: of Nemesis the Warlock as well, I believe Where they went far into the future and humanity had all turned into oh, yeah, goo, goo. Yeah. <laughs> There were
2: goo people, <laughs> one giant writhing soul mass Yeah, and then Torquemada
0: Like, used an oil Derrick to like, siphon Off that goo and mu- <laughs> Use it to get unlimited energy or it's- whatever It was a whole thing <laughs>
2: So many people Fox, what's your wrong. top apocalypse? I want to know. <laughs> oh, my top apocalypse, I feel like... Top uh, of the pox. Yeah, I feel like a star snuffing is really good. I know that we just kind of had that with um, uh, Skiz. With but Skiz, I, But yeah. I do I do think a good old-fashioned star star snuff, because you don't know it's coming until a couple minutes later. Um, <laughs> oh, man, I'm trying to think. Eight minutes to be precise. Yeah, yeah. oh, hey, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that are that are like I guess the moon crashing into the earth. That's a pretty rad rad way to go, I think, stellarly. Oh that
0: would be rad. <laughs> the tides would be really crazy leading up to that too. You could go surfing. Oh man. Oh, think live about it, it up. Give us your top pock, Conrad. <laughs> top of the pox. Oh man. I mean I like the singularity, I think, where all the robots take over and there's like A.I.'s doing stuff that one's pretty fun. I feel like linked to that like gray goo that's a pretty solid apocalypse where nanites turn everything into more nanites nanite fluid you know <laughs> but honestly honestly the best apocalypse is going to be the one of course where our lizard man masters finally reveal <laughs> themselves and follow the guidance of the Georgia Stone Guidestone brings uh, guidestones and bring the humans human population out to 500 million you know.
2: Duh. (laughs) Oh, man. Really, really pulling the Alex Jones card on us here.
0: At last, the Illuminati will will reveal themselves and kill most of us. You know, they'll make our micro, the microchips we've all had implanted (laughs) and hit the kill
1: switch, you know. It's so obvious when you say it like that. I mean, that's.
2: Yeah. (laughs) That's a pretty secondary.
0: Secondary good apocalypse is the kill shot, which is a massive solar flare mm, yeah. that just scorches the entire earth. But luckily, <laughs> that was averted in 2012, thanks to the actions of uh, Desmond and the Assassins in the Assassin's Creed uh, uh, video game. So oh, don't worry about that wow. one, you guys. <laughs>
1: okay, thank goodness.
0: Yeah. I got a lot of these. <laughs>
1: you <laughs> don't
0: want to go toe-to-toe with apocalypses with Conrad. <laughs> um But so anyway, anyway, back to this Judgment Day. Different, of course, than the Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Don't worry about that one. Um, But so this one crossover between the progs and the magazine. Basically, there's going to be it's two issues of the prog and then an issue of the meg sort of crossing over, you know, continued story, all that stuff. This is something that definitely, once the the magazine moved to fortnightly, this is very much a way to get to make people who weren't buying the Meg start buying it. Basic, <laughs>
2: basically. Damn sales tactics. Um, good, good plan though.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, j- j- um, it sort of coincides with the big reboot. I mean, even just a post. Um, Post new volume reboot in the magazine where there's all new stories, uh, Devil and Wah, Soul Sisters, Armageddon, things like that. There's actually two apocalypse themed stories going on in the magazine right now between um, this one and Armageddon, the bad man or whatever, you know, very dour or stuff. Oh, also like deadly undead source. Actually, (laughs) like (laughs) magazine's got a heavy theme at the moment. Anyway. (laughs) Um, Jeez. But so, um, we've got a bunch of different artists. All of it's ri- all of it's written by Garth Ennis with some scripting by, uh, John Wagner. And in Garth Ennis's style is a big fan of Judge Dredd. There's a lot of like callbacks and things to previous stories in this one, which I think is also a big part of a crossover, especially, of course, with the, um, introduction of a certain special guest star, which we'll get to soon. Um, there's a lot of stuff to keep place, but I have faith we'll get things down, so it won't be a problem, and I think now it's finally time to get started with part one of Judgment Day in Prog 786. Oh, man. So Peter Doherty starts us out on art. They say a day will come when the dead tear down the gates of hell and make bloody war upon the living in the Battle of Armageddon. That day is today! uh dread stands in a field with a big gun his
2: zombie arms rise out of the ground to get him as the spooky eyes of sabbat look on wall and floor and ceiling hands are always very upsetting to me
0: yeah (laughs) you don't want them coming yeah it's it's no fun when hands come out of things definitely (laughs) i get real spooked by it (laughs) so we see um So in a rocky cave with a sea of lava, a figure appears and we're told that it will cause the death of three billion people. It wears a cloak made of faces and the figure's taloned hand shoots lightning at the earth, asking if the dead of earth want to play. Very HR geek. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this face cloak. And I think we'll get more of that as, as, as we see more of this
1: character as well. I'm glad you guys have a reference for it. I just thought it was gross.
2: Yeah,
0: just some creepy stuff. Right. You know, I don't
1: know. <laughs> what you
0: expect from a, from a necromancer kind of fella, I guess. Yeah. Right. Um, two days later at at the Yancey Station mining platform or outpost, Judges Dred and Perrier are taking a bunch of Judge cadets on their hot dog run, which is a final evaluation um, deep into the cursed earth. The station is mysteriously empty, and dread sends the cadets to search the place as the sun sets. Below the earth, that same figure is shooting lightning, preparing to make the world sit up and beg. Or maybe roll over and play dead. Rock and roll! The Ayatollah <laughs> of rock and roll. Seriously, yeah, this guy. is a jerk. Um, Among the... Um, among the cadets for the hot dog run is our buddy uh, Cadet Giant, who we last saw during uh, Necropolis two years ago. You and me remember that, Fox. Um, I think Eli, too. We saw him in the primer. Um, the cadets spread out when suddenly a shout cro- uh, um, is made. Cadet Crow is being ripped apart by what's clearly a zombie. Luckily, Dredd shoots and drops with the headshot. He knows what you do with zombies. There's many <laughs> more behind it. He says to the cadets, you're starting in the deep end. Oh man. Zombie attack. Dread starts blasting these zombies, tells the others to do so too. Underground, this wizard dude has summoned about a dozen walking corpses and various like armor and uniforms and stuff, very kind of Asian themed, I guess, a lot of samurai stuff. And starts cracking jokes at them, though they're all like pretty fully dead, so when he kind of leans on one to tell his jokes, it kind of collapses <laughs> into pieces and stuff <laughs> like that. Dead Above proud, ground, if the... you will. Yeah, listen, you know, these corpses. At this point, not a good crowd. Later, <laughs> maybe a better crowd. <laughs> um, Back above ground, the judges have fallen back to their bikes and set them to auto fire headshots, which I love just because, you know, that's always a thing you got to learn in zombie movies or whatever. But they know that automatically because, right. again, they've dealt with The Walking Dead before, you know. Right. Not the first rodeo. Exactly. Never the first radio for the Justice Department. <laughs> the undead are dropping like flies, but there's many more around, um, on their way around them. The, the bike scanners read at least a million corpses headed, headed towards them, but their radios aren't powerful enough to reach Mega City 1. Instead, Dread goes barreling back into the mining station, blasting zombies as he goes. There's a pretty funny thing where like um one of the cadets says, "They'll kill him." And Perrier says, "That'll just make him mad. Let him go." <laughs> <laughs> Inside um uh sorry, on his way Dread sees a strange blue light coming out of the mine shaft in the station, and then he arrives at the comm station, blasting zombies of course as he enters the room. And he calls Mega City One for extraction. He says they're just south of Tulsa, which is like in Oklahoma, which makes me think they should just head to Texas City. But whatever, you know. What was that, Fox? Did you say something? Oh, uh, no. No, I just said, yeah. It's Well, and also,
2: they're not like super welcome there, aren't they?
0: No. I mean, you know, the, re- the relations between the Mega Cities are always kind of like kind of strained, I think. Um, But, like, you, you got to feel like people be welcoming when they're zombies and you're not a zombie. I mean, that's sort of, I don't know. that That's my feeling, at least. Like, you know, we got to put our petty differ- differences aside when the undead start to rise, you know. Um. Anyway, though, it seems like something's stopping H-Wagons from flying outside the bounds of the city. And thus, Dread Perrier and the cadets are on their own. And the zombies are also starting to attack Mega City One. Outside, the cadets are in trouble. They're running out of ammo. When suddenly, the zombies just stop attacking and start walking east towards Mega City One, the closest all, possible destination. It seems so. I guess all over the world, maybe this is a Tulsa that's just sort of in, in a not. It's a different Tulsa. It's like a like the Ohio Tulsa or something <laughs> like that. It's possible. um All over the world, though, the dead are waking up, getting out of their graves, and advancing on the mega cities. But in Hondo City, they have a different surprise in store. Planet Earth is about to enter hell, and Johnny Alpha has just warped in. Woo! It's so good. I'm glad to see him back. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah, Eli, I know you've only seen a little bit of Johnny Alpha over the years. I think mostly just in uh, the Star Lord-a-thon and stuff. Right. But this mutant bounty hunter with magic... do whatever you need him to do in the right situation. Eyes <laughs> <Got it>. is <laughs> a big, a big 2000 AD character and one who actually died in the progs not too, not um, too long ago. So
1: it's very cool to see him back here. I assume he died in a vague way where it's like, uh, hey no. he'll be fine. No, oh. very definitely dead. Nah. Yeah, no, <laughs> very was definitely like dead. dead. Got ripped it.
2: apart by some kind of flying demon hell spot.
1: Okay. And turned
0: into a, he got, to see, and then skeletonized by magic. Oh, usually yeah, don't walk right. away from that. No, it was one of the ones where if you're going to come back from that, the explanation for how is going to be complicated. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) And you got to wait like a long time to do it. You know, like I'm not saying Johnny Alpha won't never come back, but I'm saying that it happens at a point where I haven't read the comic. So I don't know how it happens. (laughs) So we're on to – sorry. Oh, I didn't
2: know that. Spoilers.
0: Oh, listen. Yeah. Well, listen. I don't know. He's (laughs) Like he's been on the cover of the comic since or whatever, but – hopefully it's a spoiler that tantalizes is what i want to say yeah. <laughs> plus it's it's like in the year 2000 like you i i, I have confidence you'll forget God, he's coming dead back by before then. fox yeah listen <laughs> you know i've i've i'm not too worried about telling you this because i've told you it before and you forgot it then as well so it's, it's fine <laughs> nailed it <laughs> living that memento life um so we're in part three of the um and in the magazine dean ornstrom takes over on our um, this is the day the Necromagus raised the dead and the lawman and the mutant fought side by side. Whoa. Yancey Station is silent as Dredd and Perrier order the cadets to get ready and mount up. They got a hard night of driving ahead. Meanwhile, in the year 2178, 64 years into the future... Johnny Alpha is in the still existing doghouse getting briefed on a mission and we learn that this is uh, post-rage so his sidekick Wolf Sternhammer has died and we learn from Chief Superintendent Shrapnel of the Galactic Crime Commission that he's offering Johnny 10 million, uh, uh, 10 million space bucks to apprehend Sabat, a black magician from the Blessed Nebula aka the Necromagus He's destroyed the planet Bethsheba and then escaped through time on Earth. So the job is to basically find him and kill him to avoid messing up the uh, the
2: timeline too much. Because obviously, if Earth gets destroyed, then they're all in trouble. Being future Earthlings, yeah. I was a I was a little tripped up here because I was thinking to myself, should I remember this guy from that one time Johnny Alpha fought a necromage before? No, that
0: was a that, that, that was, was a whole corpse. different space wizard. Yeah. yeah, too many space wizards. Yeah, that was that was a space wizard johnny brought um, a child corp a child be brought back to life and then things went bad basically i forget who that was but it was a different guy just got for it. the record <laughs> i forgot to look it up oh no um, johnny pauses briefly about the job cuz he knows that going um, going back to 2114 the last time he was in that rough time area he got beat up by judge Dredd, and he doesn't want to deal with that anyway Or he doesn't want to deal with that again, but a job's a job, so he heads out. (laughs) He soon arrives in Hondo in 2114 and is immediately attacked by our old buddy, Judge Inspector Totaro Sadu, who we last saw during the Armade and Hondo story back in 1988. Hondo is basically Japan in uh, the World of Dread. Uh, Sadu attacks Alpha with a tendo stick, this sort of like red hook kind of martial arty weapon that the, ju- that the uh, hondo city judges carry also a gun it is a gun yeah so a- it does have a gun built into it can't stress it enough um alpha says he doesn't want to fight but sabu said says he's the same as sabat Subba- as who arrived there yesterday and used magic to literally rip a bunch of judges hearts out and stuff oh, and then God. laughed and fled into the into the radlands I love how he ripped their hearts out because he just sort of did a a hand move and then all their hearts come flying out of their chest. Solid, solid
1: magic stuff here. (laughs) (laughs) I always wonder why they don't start with that move. You know, I guess. I guess in a way he is. In this case, he did. Yeah.
0: He just showed up and that was it. Like, (laughs) all right, hearts, I'm out of here. To the (laughs) 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 Redlands. Um, Oh, I should say, while they're doing all this, um, Johnny has, like, pulled a gun and Sadu put, like, the, the gun part of his tendo stick under Johnny's chin. So they're in one of those, like, sort of clinch, like, you know, Mexican standoff kind of things. <laughs> Strontium Dog tries to explain that he's here to kill Sabat himself, but Sadu won't listen until he gets distracted by reports of these dang zombies coming out. Oh, jeez. Geez. It's everywhere. Next Time in the judgment zone, hot dog, hot dog in hell and kill the world. And with that, let's return to your standard timeline broadcasts. Whoa. So we're good. So like I, or so like I'm going to say in the judgment day sections, we're going to record those later. So we aren't counting the judgment day story for our top and bottom thrills at this point or top and bottom stories. So, with that proviso, what are your top and bottom stories for this ish, uh, Volume Two, Issues
1: Three and Four of the Judge Red Magazine? <laughs> um, so I, I took my time, I thought about it, and I think I'm actually going to put um, uh, uh, Devlin w- Wa Devlin Wa on the bottom. Ooh. Um, just not enough happened for me to really get excited about it. That's was Still waiting on that payoff. Still do love the art, but it d- wasn't enough to get past it this time. <laughs> um, I actually um uh for my top want to put uh, uh Armageddon, the Badman on top. Nice. Um, but I do like their art, and this same art is um Owl's baby. Uh, yeah, Carlos um, scary Yeah, yeah, that 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 same artist definitely. Um. And uh, they just gave me just enough interesting things that I'm like, all right, yeah, we got, you know, big green alien head guys awakening powers. We got some Wolverine claws. We got magical drunks, you know, so I'm it's it's given me enough to, you know, uh, hold my interest. I'm really excited to see what happens next in this one. Nice.
0: I think I might join you with Armageddon on my top. I might join you with Armageddon as my top story. Um, mostly on the strength of a pretty cool fight scene between the bad man and these uh, and these punks. You know, I mean, you know, one gu- beating up one guy at a time is a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. I thought that was pretty fun. He kind of kicks the shit out of these guys, and that's fine with me. And then I did kind of like these two weird magical butlers leading to a weird magic dude in the sewers. Like I think like those three yeah. things are 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 fun. Like I'm I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, like, it's funny you said that not a lot happened in Devlin Waugh, because honestly, I feel like not a lot happened in any of these stories, <laughs> <laughs> especially the main three that we're looking at of, uh, Soul Sisters, Devlin Waugh, and, uh, End of the Bad Man. Like, I feel like- right. we've sort Texas of look-
1: City Sting was also, uh, uh. I- I like
0: that story a lot, but I feel like, honestly, like, like that was mostly last episode. This one was kind of the wrap-up for mm-hmm. it and stuff like that. Right, right.
1: Mm, absolutely.
0: Um, but like, yeah, so, but, like, but all of them feel like not a ton happened. Like, Lori kind of escaped mm-hmm. the guy and then met the other guy. And then, right. like, we kind of got, like, the problem with Devlin' Waugh, like I mentioned at the time, is just that things are so kind of hidden- at the moment, and I don't know if they'll ever be unhidden. But at the moment, they're so hidden that it's just hard mm-hmm. to know what anything means, you know. So, right. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. <laughs> and but I think right. in the end, I might, I, I might put Soul Sisters on my bottom um, as mm-hmm. my bottom story, just because that's fair. that also feels like they're just again just a lot of people mysteriously talking about something, and then the Soul Sisters make a quip or
1: two or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, and it, yeah, it just, and they, I, yeah, good. I do, I do think they're also uh, gearing up for a lot of setup, and it's almost like they it feels like they're biting off more than they can chew. They're like, yeah. oh, these people are trying to kill this guy, and also these people, and then this is going on, and you're like, oh, how is that all going to come to a head? And yeah, I'm definitely, like, uh, the, the odds of it being satisfying are,
0: I mean, of these, yeah, of diminishing these, of these two. Like for these two, like apparently costumed crime fighters, they've got like four villains at this point, mm-hmm. right? Like, and that just seems like a lot. Like, it seems like they, you know, and yeah, like you said, yeah, it does. Like, feel like I don't know if you've ever seen. Uh, it's like a it's it's like a circus act where someone is like spinning a bunch of plates on sticks, and then something else is going to happen. But, like, they're just spending – and they're spending so much time getting all these plates up to speed that it's like, well, I guess it's got to be good, right? But then you're just kind of like, okay. Right. Like, wait, is this just the act? Like, I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: right. Exactly.
0: And, yeah, and I'd say <laughs> Devlin was – yeah, so I'd say um, – I'd say Bad Man on top, Soul Sisters in the bottom and Devlin Wah in the middle – Again, on the strength of again, I I love the art for this. I love the character of right. Devlin and all these creepy ass vampires and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. There's definitely just some really great pages where Sean Phillips draws these like bestial uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, dudes, just like eating each other and killing people and stuff with cool yeah. John Smith
1: narration. You know? Yeah. I also think it's funny. I think I actually gave Devlin uh the bottom because I really like the art so much. I'm like this better pay off, you know. I'm just like oh, my expectations. Yeah, you're putting go it on notice. Up. I see how it goes. Right.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully it will. You know, I mean, we're still making our way through these stories, and hopefully they yeah. will justify the preparation <laughs> that they're going through at this point. You know, so yeah. we're seeing a lot of setup in all of these, so hopefully the payoff comes through. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Big Meg One on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at BigMeg1.com. Feel free to contact us at BigMegOne at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. For all those, check out Big Meg One, the one written out, and you'll find us. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Zane Kipmiller, and your friends in the 2000D forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash and That's our podcast network. There you can support the show and receive a ton of excellent rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of Modern 2080 in the magazine, and even monthly Q&As with myself and Fox from Space Spinner. Then come back next time as Judgment Day rolls on. Pope Bob returns, Devlin Waugh reaches the end of the rainbow, and the U.N. is under attack in Batman. And until then, I'm Conrad, there you lie, and we are Big Mac One. Drop it!